Um, hey, we, we are, this is a great church. And I, I have said this before, and I'll just keep saying it. I didn't know how great it was until I was here. I had heard of the church. I had been in the building. I had been meeting with the ministers. I knew most of the pastors. I actually had a couple, a lot of you know Barry Young. I thought Jeff Nordine was Barry Young. Because I'd never met Barry, because Barry hadn't been to like the district things that I'd been to. And so I was here at the church one day and met, it turned out to be Jeff Nordine. He was a music guy. And I thought I was talking to Barry the whole time. I, I don't know if I said Barry. I don't even know. But then when I finally met Barry, I'm looking, I'm like, you're not Barry. But I was wrong. But here's the thing. I didn't know you. I knew the place. I knew the staff, but I didn't know you. This is a great church. And what happens a lot of times is people drive by and they're not even sure it's a church because a lot of times the building itself doesn't always look like a church. And I know especially if you're coming from the north, you can't really tell. And sometimes it's funny when you're coming from the north, I don't know if anybody else experiences this, but it looks like that cell phone tower is on our building kind of, you know, at times. And I'm thinking, anyway, you just don't know until you know the people. So I was asked this question once, it's been a couple of years ago, but I was asked, what if this, if your church, people just, there was just a minister's meeting, they're asking, if your church disappeared, would anybody notice? Would anybody know? I mean, obviously the people in the church would know, but like, what if we sent out a text message to everybody and said, hey, we're meeting somewhere else, you know, would, would the people in the community know that we were gone? And that, that made me think, I wonder if they would even know. So what, we went, what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is we're just going to define really who we are, and, who, and what the people out there are missing if they don't know. If they don't know who we are, what are they missing? Who is it? And so uh, here's our symbol for it. We're talking about the big six. So these are going to be the big six kind of core values of what this church is about. So for most of you, you'll be sitting there and saying, well, duh, yeah, of course that's who we are. Some of you may be thinking, really? Because I haven't felt that. And that'll be conviction for some of us. Because we want you to experience what this, what's so great about this church. There's times where I'm, I'm, I want to also thank you all for last Sunday. And uh, Dom, Pastor Don Miller's not here, but I, I'm really grateful to he and his wife, for uh, Vicky for all they did, you know, coming to speak and kind of doing that, that service, the commissioning service they did for us. And I want to just thank you as a church because you impressed them. Now, here's, let me explain what that means. Uh, Don Miller speaks... Like he mentioned, he speaks in a different church almost every Sunday. But afterward, he just couldn't stop talking about you, how great you were, how friendly you were, how great the facility looked, how, how wonderful you were to each other. And, and here's, this, is, this is really high praise from somebody who goes to a church every week. And he experiences churches who aren't always like that. So I want to thank you. Also, my family and Nicole's family who were here last week, you know, they were saying the same things. They wish, some of them were saying, man, we wish we could come to this church because this is how, it's just a great, great place. So just wanted to brag on you a little bit and thank you for being who you are because that is true. It's who you are. So let's start this series. I'm wondering, is anybody here old enough to remember the show Cheers? Okay, I'm not endorsing a bar or whatever. I'm not, I'm just saying. Who can remember? Raise your hand again. All right. Do you remember that song they sang? You know, just like a lot of those, was somebody starting to sing it? Really? Because that would be funny, because that would help, actually, today, if you would do that. I was going to sing it, then I thought, oh, I'm just going to embarrass myself if I do. So instead, what I did is I put the words on the screen, and you can sing along as I say them. But it, the, song, the song always bothered me. You know why it bothered me? Because it should have been a song about a church, but it was a song about a bar. That's bothered me. 
It bothered me because this is such a, a universal human need that they're meeting in a bar. So here's how it goes. Making your way in the world today, it's hard not to say it, but because it's in my mind and I don't want to embarrass myself, takes everything you got. Is that true? Universal, right? Then he says, taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Okay, who, what's the next part? Okay. Sometimes you got to go where, where, where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that great if you walked in and everybody knows your name and they're glad you're here, right? I thought of that when we came home last night. we, We had just run a couple errands and we came home and maybe you've got the same experience. We walk in and our little dog is so excited. We're home. And he dances around, and he dances, and he greets each person. And if he's already said hi to you, then he'll move to the next person. And it's amazing. He, he can remember who, who's already been in. And I was thinking, man, that's a great feeling. I wish everybody was that happy to see me, you know? <laughs> and maybe that's why. It's because he's a dog and doesn't know any better. But still, I wish, I wish we all could have that feeling. That's what it's saying. And he says, you want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. And then it ends with that line again. And you want to be where everybody knows your name. Man, we want that. Everybody wants that. They want a place where they belong, a place where they get the, okay, I'm going to say this slow so we all get it, where you're on the inside. You know how that is, right? Where somebody's on the inside and somebody isn't. But you want to be, everybody wants to be on the inside. They want to know what's happening. They want to know, they want to be part of what's happening. They want to connect on a very deep level. They want to be known and appreciated for who they are. And then they want to be missed when they're not there. And then they want people to kind of know what they're going through. Now, of course, some people are more private. I get that. But ultimately, we want to know, we want to know that they matter. Everybody wants to know that, that you matter to somebody more than your dog. And if you don't feel like that, buying a dog would help a little bit because it does, it does help some. I mean, but it's still, you know, it's anyway. Remember high school? Anybody remember high school? Some of you are in high school. Who's in high school? Okay. Well, those of us who are not in high school now, do you remember how it was? Remember all the groups? Remember what they were? Say say some of them real loud for me. Athletes, jocks. Okay, what? Preps. Let's try not to say the negative ones as much, but okay, I heard heard nerds. Okay, what else? Surfers. Yeah, I remember that. What? Band, the band. Okay. Cheerleaders. The smokers, did somebody say smokers? Did you? Because that's when I was in high school, we actually had a smoking section. Now, of course, they would probably outlaw that. But back then, that was kind of the deal. We called them loadies, though, because they're always loaded. Because they weren't smoking, just cigarettes. But Okay, that's just how it was in my school. But uh, what else? Okay, I heard band geeks, and I heard what? Something over here. Well, anyway, anything else? Theater, okay, theater, that's what I'd heard, I think. Choir, yep, theater, choir. Um, yep, I, some, no one mentioned ASB, but that was kind of a group at our school. We didn't have goth yet when I was a kid, but, you know, it's out there now. I mean, you see it, it's been around for a while. And I didn't, I didn't hear anybody mention the gangsters. Didn't you guys have that? We did. Oh, yeah. We had the thugs. You did? All right, we had the gangsters and thugs. What? Oh, the Jesus freaks. Yeah, we had, yeah, we had our Bible group we met during lunch. Um, you had the cool kids, you had the newspaper, the yearbook, 
Anybody have 4-H? I didn't hear any 4-H or Future Farmers of America. Gearheads. Okay, yeah, the gearheads, motorheads. All right, you, get, you had all that, right? And people need a group. They need a place to belong. Then you had other people look like they were wandering through campus just trying to be part of something. Remember how that was? Now, I, I grew up in California, so our lunch and all that was all outside because it never rained. So um, what would happen is these groups would all sit at tables or a bunch of tables. And you see this parodied in a bunch of the TV sitcoms. You know, my kids are that age where we've watched kind of this rendition over and over and over at different, you know, different schools. And uh, my school, though, I remember watching, and you could see some people, and they would just kind of walk, and they'd just kind of stand near the group, you know, and they're eating their lunch. Nobody invites them to sit down. Anybody remember that? Hopefully it wasn't you I'm describing. But, and they wanted so desperately to be in, but nobody even noticed them. Or worse, sometimes they scoot over so they don't have a place. And they just want to belong. They need a place. They need a place to fit in and feel like somebody knows who they are. What's sad is a lot of times in society that doesn't change that much. You know, you see this kind of reenacted at some people's workplaces or you see it reenacted in other social groups or schools or people associate that way or even neighborhoods sometimes. But sadly, sometimes you even see that in churches where the groups are still there. It's like, oh my gosh, it's high school again. You see the cool kids hanging out. You see the other people and other people walk in and want to be part of something and they're not quite included and the pain, you just see it because they're, they're feeling it so bad. Have you ever been on the outside? And maybe you haven't been on the outside. Maybe you're one of those, you know, they, it's funny, social scientists, they study all this stuff. I don't know who pays them to do it, but they do. They get paid to do this. And they say that it's really only 12% of people who feel like they're in. They're cool. They're part of the group. 12. That means... 78% of us were trying to be that 12. But maybe you're one of the 12, so if it's not you, just try to imagine what it would be like to be on the outside. And if you've wondered, how is it that some people can just walk up and join any group? Or how can they just walk up and start talking and join a conversation? It's almost like they're immediately interesting and they have something to say. How is it that they can do that and, and I can't? Or what is it like... and to watch other people, and it seems like they're brand new, and yet they're included immediately, but you never were. Again, the pet thing, just recommending it. <laughs> Have any of you had a friend uh, that was a convenient friend? Here's what I mean by that. Like, um, I remember I had this, my first roommate in college, when I first went to Cal Poly Pomona, I thought, I don't know why, I mean, we just did everything together. Now, he, I was a microbiology major, he was in aerospace engineering, so we didn't have that in common. I mean, I was life sciences. He was, you know, a totally different deal. We didn't have any classes together, but we were roommates. So all of our social time pretty much was together. And then it was, it was just a weird awakening. I'm not saying it was bad because I was part of it, but it was a weird awakening when the next semester he didn't get his roommate thing turned in in time. And we showed up to school and we weren't roommates. And we weren't friends. Isn't that weird? And we would see each other, and it would be kind of that awkward, hey, we shared a whole year together, but now we're not friends. It was weird. And it was, it was kind of like thinking, okay, I guess we were friends because we were together, but we weren't really friends. Neighbors can be like that sometimes, people you work with. Maybe sometimes you have common interests and can be like that. But it can be difficult, too, when you're the convenient friend where you're only the friend when it's convenient, like all the other friends are busy, so they call you. You know what that's like? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. I know 
I know how painful it is. Here's the thing. We all want to matter. So my question today is, who mattered to Jesus? As we look at him in the Gospels, who mattered to him? I happen to be reading the book of Luke, so that's why I remember I mentioned I was in the book of Luke talking about uh, the Last Supper. And so earlier in the book of Luke, in uh, chapter 17, there's an interesting story because Jesus heals 10 lepers. You know who they were, right? The ultimate outcasts of society. Because those people in that time, they knew, they knew that this disease was communicable and it was really disgusting and people had outward appearance of the disease and body parts would actually just die and fall off. It was really gross. So if you were a leper in that society, you had to remove yourself from, from, from the, every area that was public. And anytime people came around, you would have to call out, unclean. Isn't that demoralizing? You didn't actually say, I have leprosy. You had to say, unclean. And people would avoid you. And moms would shield their children and say, don't go near that person. He's gross and disgusting. So you would congregate with other people like you. Isn't that in some ways an image of our society? Because they didn't know really what caused it. I mean, they knew it was a disease. They knew it was caused by contact. But it was so fearful that you would get it because then you would be ostracized in a way. In in Scripture, even, as you read the Old Testament, there were specific laws and rules, especially if you were around. And it was meant to protect society from catching this horrendous thing. So if you were, had come in contact, even by accident with someone like that, you could not be around public, in the public. Not only that, but you couldn't go to the temple. And so there started to be a religious association with that uncleanness that for sure you couldn't go to the temple. So anybody who was a religious person at all, especially a priest or a rabbi, would have nothing to do with them because that would be the height of embarrassment. Yet Jesus did. He broke the social norms all the time. And he said, no, that's somebody who, who, who God created and his image is in them. And I love them. Yes, you look at them as hideous and unclean and despicable. But me, I look at them as somebody I love. And Jesus went to them and he healed them. And he healed them. And he changed their status in one moment from, from unclean and hideous to part of society again. That's what he does. And in chapter 18, he tells a story about about a Pharisee and a tax collector and how that they're praying and about how the Pharisee who represented the religious holier-than-thou community, the Pharisee was praying on one corner and then over here is the tax collector whose society looked down on. And the tax collector was saying, have mercy on me and beating his chest. And then the Pharisee, the height of hypocrisy says, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Don't we do that sometimes, though? Just a little bit. You drive by and you see somebody and you think, oh, God. I mean, we say it different. We say, oh, there, but the, for the grace of God go I. But that's who Jesus reached out to. That's who mattered to him. Because he used that story to point out the fact that the repentant tax collector was important. He mattered. Another situation in, in chapter 17, children come to be, parents bring their children to be blessed by Jesus and the disciples try to shoo them away. And I know a lot of times in our modern society, we look at that and we think, how could that ever happen? Unless you've been to the third world and seen street urchins and you know that the disease and the dirt and the, I mean, kids aren't always clean. They're always playing in the dirt. I mean, I ate dirt. Anybody else eat dirt? 
All right, I mean, our dirt was probably cleaner than their dirt, but the fact is, they wanted to keep those kids away from Jesus. Don't get anything on him. Worse, what if they were sticky and had jelly or something on them? Can you imagine? Or made his robe dirty or whatever. And what did Jesus say? No, let the children come to me. And the Bible says he blessed them. He blessed them. They mattered to him. Going on, he says, in there, the, the rich man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. You tell me what you have to do. And he, and he says, well, I followed all the Ten Commandments. He says, good, then give all of your wealth away to the poor. Then you can get into heaven. And the Bible says that he goes away sad. And everybody notices. And they're kind of shocked. And they say to Jesus, well, if he can't get in, who can get in? And Jesus says, it's hard for the rich to get in. You know what mattered? What mattered? What mattered was his soul because in their society, they assumed that if you were rich, you were more holy. And if you were rich, you were closer to God. And what God was saying, it's not about your wealth. It's about you. Wealth didn't matter to him. The people mattered to him. Then the last story in chapter 18, it's a blind beggar that comes that Jesus heals. What's significant about that is for in their society, the blind and beggars were looked down on. They, they did give alms and they were required to, but they gave it to them out of pity because some people assumed that they were that way because of sin or some people assumed that they were, they were that way because of something that they had done or their parents had done. But regardless, they were filthy and dirty and different and they weren't allowed, but they mattered to Jesus and he stopped and he healed them. And then we flash forward to chapter 19. And we want to see who mattered to Jesus. And we look at the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love this story. Does anybody remember the song since we're doing songs today? Zacchaeus was a rich little man. Uh, wee little man. Wee little man. I love the wee, wee little man part. <clears throat> so Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and Jesus took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. See how that's in quotations? He had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, and then they grumbled. They grumbled. Quick question. This really has no no theological bearing whatsoever, but just a question. Who was short? Did you ever read that and wonder about that? I mean, any English teachers? As you read it, it says, he came to see Jesus, but he was too short to see because of the crowd. It's not really, in English, it's a little ambiguous. Which one was short? I know that that bothers us to think Jesus might have been short, but... Regardless, in the Greek, it, it's pretty clear who was short. So it was Zacchaeus. But, but I want to at least throw something else in there for you to think about. What if he was also short in stature in society? He was. He was a tax collector. What if the people in the crowd, one of the reasons he couldn't see is they looked at him and thought, he isn't, he isn't worthy to see Jesus. So they kind of elbowed him out because they knew who he was. What if... What if What if they just thought, oh, he wouldn't even want to see Jesus because he's so bad, or he's such a sinner, he wouldn't even want to see Jesus? Maybe they made those assumptions. I'm just wondering. But a better question was this. Let's talk about Zacchaeus for a minute. 
I never knew this till studying for the sermon this week. Zacchaeus is actually a nickname, in, a Hebrew nickname for Zechariah. I didn't know that. It's a nickname for Zechariah, and the meaning of Zechariah is the righteous one. Do you wonder ever if somebody like him got teased about their nickname? Because sometimes nicknames come along, but in Scripture, most of the time, those names have meaning. And I know our society, we don't do nicknames as much as it's kind of politically incorrect. I grew up by the border in Me- by Mexico, and, and in Spanish, Mexican nicknames to, to a lot of times Western Americans seem kind of cruel. I mean, I had a friend, his name was Gordo. I didn't even know his real name. Gordo means fatso in Spanish, and he was a little rotund, okay? That was his name. I mean, we don't do that as much in our society, but in theirs, I wonder if anybody ever gave him a hard time and just said, oh, yeah, you're righteous, all right, as I pay my taxes. I wonder. I don't know. I wonder if he had trouble living up to it or felt that pressure that that just didn't work. I don't know. But let's talk about Zacchaeus for a minute. We know, we know that he was a tax collector. And if you know history or know this story well, you know that the Roman Empire and a lot of the conquering empires did this kind of thing, but they were really clever. One of their goals in, in conquering was to stay in power. And one of the ways to do that was to divide loyalties in the society. Now, some cultures would come in and they would, they would take all the religious people and re-educate them and then make them their priests of their gods. But the Romans did it a different way. One of the ways they used was to use taxation. Because taxation, you know, that, that empire was enormous and spread all over the world. And the only way it stayed in business was by money. So they had to get the money. And how better to get the money than to take a Jewish person, one of the conquered, and turn him into a traitor and make him, make him collaborate with the enemy and it's, it's, it's just brilliant, really. You think about, they know the language, they know the territory, they know who has money in this society, right? They know who to go after and they know how much to get. They know if they've got something hidden behind the house. They know. They live there. And what it did is it made those people a pariah in the neighborhood. Everybody knew it. But he wasn't just a normal tax collector. It says clearly he was the chief tax collector of the region. This region, Jericho, was a big trade route. So he had to be super wealthy because the way they worked it is these chief collectors, uh, tax collectors especially, they could bid to the Roman government to get this job. And if they bid a certain amount, then they just had to make that amount. It wasn't really based on how many, you know, like today, you know, the IRS will, will check and kind of give you an estimate of what your property's worth and your car and all that. He just bid on it. And then the Roman government would say, okay. And then whatever he could make over his bid was his. And then being the chief collector, he would employ other tax collectors. Does that make sense? It's like the ultimate multi-level marketing, isn't it? Yeah, he had his fingers deep, deep, deep in people's pockets. And everybody knew it. They knew who he was, and they knew how much of a traitor he was to the people. That's how it was. Jesus even used in the, in the chapter before a, a tax collector as a, as a villain in the story, so people knew what it was. So as Jesus walks in, I want to point out one other thing in this story before we move on. Jesus walks in and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he says, I'm going to spend my spend. I'm going to go to your house. It's more than just a meal. You need to understand this. He was going to stay there. What that meant is all the sin, all the 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 evil that was on that tax collector. The people thought, oh, that's going to be all on Jesus. How could he even go in there? He's going to eat with him. He's going to stay there. Do you know what? Zacchaeus mattered to Jesus. He mattered And then, of course, you have the grumblers, you have the muttering masses, and you remember what they said, how could he do this? How could he go there? 
And you wonder what was going on there. I wonder if that was because they were jealous. I mean, what better? Can you imagine having Jesus stay the night in your house? I don't care who you were during that day. You wanted that. But Zacchaeus gets it. How is that fair? It almost reminds you, doesn't it, of the, the elder brother and the prodigal son story? Like here, the father's showing us all this attention to the, the, the son that had squandered the money and come back, and I've been with you all this time, and you're not staying in my house. I wonder. I wonder if some of the people were there because they were just um, prejudiced, and they thought that just didn't work. I wonder if some of it, though, it could have been righteous indignation, right? I mean, he was a legitimate sinner. I think what was really happening, though, is Jesus was breaking their mold again. And he was saying, you don't think he matters, but he matters. He matters to me. Yes, I know what he's done. Yes, I know who he is. Yes, I know all the people he's hurt, but he matters. He still matters. And then we go on with the story. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true servant of Abraham. And the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Can I say that again? The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Because the lost matter. That's what matters. Another quick question for you. Didn't it say he will give? It's interesting, though. If you look at a couple different translations, it kind of implies he'd already done it. It says, see, Lord, the half of my goods I now give by way of restoration to the poor. That's in the Amplified Version. And then in the, the, um, the NASB, the New American Standard Version, it says, behold, Lord, a, a half of my possessions will, I give to the poor, will give to the poor. But then if you read the footnote, it says, I am giving. So some people have asked, was he like an Oscar Schindler? And he was kind of, kind of working for the Roman government, but the government didn't know he was actually helping people all along. And people hated him, but didn't even know he was actually a good guy. It's an interesting thought. Or could it be this? Could it be that that day, just like us, confronted with the Christ, confronted with Jesus and his love, he said, you know what? I'm changed now. I feel like a lot of times for us, when, when we come to him and ask for forgiveness and he changes us, we say, God, I will do this. And we have trouble kind of accepting his forgiveness. But he changes us now. That's what I think happened. I think Zacchaeus was changed in that moment. And for him, it was a moment where he said, not just will in the future, but I'm changed now. And as of now, I give it back. That's what I think was happening. Sad thing is a lot of times we don't let people change that quick, do we? We have certain things we require. I got to see a certain amount of penance. I got to see you be sad for this long, right? Jesus doesn't do that. He accepted his forgiveness immediately. He immediately accepted it. And he said, not only has salvation come, but he restored him. Did you catch that? He said, this is a true son of Abraham. Because I promise you, all the other Jews had told him many times, you aren't even one of us. You're not even a Jew. You're not even a son of Abraham. And Jesus put it right back and said, no, this is a true son of Abraham. Not just a son of Abraham, a true son of Abraham. His salvation meant complete, complete restoration. And why is that? Because everybody matters. Everybody matters to God. And I want to add to that, and I want to say this. 
Everybody matters to Crown Point Church. Everybody matters to Crown Point Church. When I say that, I I don't want to just rush into this, but I know that you guys have noticed the flags we put out there. You know why we did that? Because so many people have come to us for different events, like when we hosted the weather spotter training that Mike Curry brought here, or if we've, we've hosted some other events here, and people will say, I didn't even know that was a church. <laughs> say, you know what? We want to change that. We want to make sure people notice as they're driving down. You know, a lot of times people, I know even for me, sometimes I'll come from the north, and it cracks me up. I'm like, oh, I almost missed the turn. I mean, it comes quick for some reason. I don't know what it is. We want, to, we want people to know. Not only that, we want to make sure that everybody realizes when they come on the property where the visitor parking is. Because for most of you, 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 you don't remember your first time here. But for some of you, you can remember the very first time coming, you drive up to our property, and it is beautiful. And I'm so grateful. And thank Gordon and all the work that, that he and the team and people do. And, and Pat was fixing lights this week, and I appreciate that. And as you drive up, you don't know where to park. It's kind of confusing. You see the circle here and you think, okay, I, I could drop somebody off, but then do I go over here or do I go over here? Or, and, and it can be a little confusing. We want for the people who are coming for the first time, we want them to know, hey, we honor you and we want you to be there. Not only that, we want to make sure that it's, it, maybe you see someone that's parking over there and you think, ah, I'm, I get to know them. They're newer here at the church. We want to make sure that happens. We value kids here. They matter to us. Children matter here. That's why we, we background check everybody who has even an opportunity or a chance to work with children. And sometimes that can be a hassle and it can be expensive. But we do that because they matter. All of it matters. We're going to be hosting the Discovery Homeschool Association on Tuesday starting in September. What that is is, is uh, homeschoolers from all around our area here, homeschooling families, they, they'll come here on Tuesday and they'll get education by actual certified teachers during that day. Because I've never been a homeschool uh, teacher or parent, but I can imagine there's times where you're trying to teach a subject and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm that qualified to do this. But they actually have teachers who, are, who have teaching credentials going to be teaching those classes. The reason we're doing is because they matter. Those kids matter. Those families matter. We want to give them that support. The reason we do the care portal is because those families matter and those children who are involved in foster care matter. People matter to God. The reason we have an agape ministry that helps people who are financially strapped for a moment, the reason we have that is because people matter. The reason that we're doing events for ladies like, like the, the bagel and the, the fruit deal that was in the, in the bulletin, the reason we're doing that is people matter. The reason we're doing a men's retreat is because people matter. And we know that for guys, sometimes it can be difficult to connect to church, but that's an event that they can connect in in a totally different way, totally non-threatening. It's a bunch of guys going to, going to retreat. It's fun. Or a Tuesday night, you know, when we do our men's meetings. The reason we do that is because people matter. We're doing a, we're doing a uh, we have our connect lunch today. Lisa, by the way, are you still awake? She said, okay, she's still awake. I met her today and she said, um, don't be boring because I don't want to fall asleep in church. So I said, well, I'll try not to, and then I'll hopefully remember your name and see if you're still awake. But we're doing a connect lunch today because new people matter. And it can be weird being new, and you don't know who's who, and you don't know who the pastors are. And you saw Pastor Jeremy, and Pastor Nick was leading worship, and then I'm up here. But you, most of you probably don't know Pastor Rob Sapp, our children's and family pastor. But what will happen is at that connect lunch today, if you're newer to the church, you're invited to be at that. And, and we'll introduce our families. We'll talk to you more about the church because it matters. You matter. That's why we're doing that today. We have a next step membership class. A lot of people have asked about that. We'll be doing that in September. It's not till the 20th. It's a ways away. But that's what we do that for because people matter. 
We want this church to be a place where people are known and where people know each other. Even further, we want it to be a place where it's safe and that you're never the person who walks into the lunch area and doesn't have a place to sit. That you're not the one who walks up and you feel like you're on the outside and people just scoot over because you can't fit. We don't want that to be here. We want it to be just the other way around. That's why we offer so many opportunities for you to connect. That's what we want to happen. We want you to connect in those places. Whether it's a, a life group or a men's event or women's event, whether it's in, that's why we built the coffee shop. That was what it was all about, is so that people would have a chance to sit down, enjoy coffee, maybe a donut if there's any left, and then talk about things, whatever. How was your day? Who are you? I, I haven't, I've never seen you before. Are you new? I'm not new. I've been here two years. Oh, me too. I can't believe it. And we sat over there and you sat over here and all of a sudden you know somebody. That's why we do it. That's what it's all about. Another good way to connect is by volunteering in a ministry. Because some, for some people, you know, that face-forward talking is just not them. You know, maybe they're more of an introvert. But you can work side-by-side by somebody, with somebody and really get to know them that way. I was talking to a lady even this week about that, and she said, that's why I started volunteering in the nursery. And I said, well, how's that going? She goes, well, I know babies. <laughs> she goes, and I know the other nursery workers. She goes, I thought I would meet, you know, but you're sitting there. She goes, it's a lot of work, you know, because, yeah, babies are crawling. You got to change them and all of that. Yeah, it is a lot of work. Not only that, I put resolve up there because it's something else that we do because people matter is we actually try to resolve conflicts. Have you ever thought about conflict like this? I mean, conf- not all conflict is bad or sin. Some of it actually is productive, and some of it's just, it just is. Remember that story of Paul and Barnabas, how they were teammates and they were doing ministry together, and then Barnabas's young cousin, Mark, John Mark, left them and then they had a falling out and they had a disagreement and they parted ways and the ministry was multiplied and paul went with silas and barnabas went with john mark and then john mark was i mean not all conflict has to be bad the goal always should be let's let's look specifically at scripture it really says here in matthew 18 if another believer sins against you go privately and point out the offense if the other person listens and confesses it you've won that person back so the motivation is relationship again because they matter. Sometimes I've seen people in conflict and they'll say, I don't care about them anyway. But you know what? That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is reconciliation because they matter. They matter. So it says here, you can win them back over, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Then if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And if it, he or she won't accept the church's a decision and treat that person, then you treat him as a pagan. Oh my gosh. And a tax collector. Wow. The thing is, you matter. That's why we try to resolve things, because you matter. If the worship team could come up here right now, maybe you've kind of gotten the message that you matter. I hope so. I hope you've gotten the message. And maybe as we've been talking about things, we, we may have touched on you and your situation or maybe something in your past that maybe you kind of doubted whether you mattered. Maybe you wondered if God ever cared about you, but hopefully as we talk today, you realize if he cares about all those people and all those situations, then for sure he cares about me. And I want to reinforce that with you today. He cares about you. He does care about you. There may be somebody here today that you've never, ever even thought about becoming a Christian before. 
Because maybe your idea of what Christianity was wasn't what we've described today. And as we've described it today, maybe you thought, well, if that's what it is, then I do want a relationship with him. And let me just really quickly just lay it out. A relationship with him is, it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy to, to live out, but it's simple. The thing is, every one of us have done things that are wrong. Scripture's really clear about that, and you know that from your own life experience. But as we've done things that are wrong that separated us from him in a relationship with him. But he wasn't satisfied with that because you matter. And because you matter, he sent his son to die for you and to pay the price for your sins so you don't have to. And what you have to do is to accept that payment and then to invite him to live in your life and to change who you are, and then you become a Christian. That's how it works. I'm going to take a moment, and I want you to shut your eyes for just a second. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask anybody to... I just want to know. Anybody here for the first time, you just want to accept him, and you want to start a relationship with him like that? Anybody at all? Just raise your hand real quick. Give you just a moment. All right, I'm going to do this. With your eyes still closed, let me just ask this. Maybe you've been sitting here and thought, there's been a lot of times I felt like I didn't matter. I wanted to matter, but I personally didn't feel that way. Just, just as a response, just raise your hand really quick. No one's getting called up or anything. Thanks for those hands. I appreciate that honesty. I want you to know you matter. With that said, too, everyone matters to God. People who you might consider unlovable, of course, they don't have real leprosy, but maybe in your mind they've had that. Maybe they're just so different than you, you thought, make it matter to somebody else. Maybe you've got, um, you know, we always say unloved, unsaved loved ones, but maybe you've got unloved, saved ones in your family that you just struggle with. Maybe you, like that crowd around Jesus that Zacchaeus couldn't get through, maybe you thought, oh, they wouldn't respond to him anyway. With your head still bowed and eyes closed, I'm wondering if you know somebody who maybe you have treated like they don't matter. Anybody be honest about that for a minute? Just raise your hand. Thanks. I know that took a lot of honesty to say that. It's tough to admit when we've been unchristlike, but the fact is, he matters. They matter. All those people matter to him. If you would stand with me for just a moment. What we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray over us for just a minute, and then if any of you want prayer for anything, it can be anything. What I'd like is for our pastors and their wives and board members and wives, prayer team, to come to the front just to pray with whoever might come. But if you would like prayer for any reason, we want to pray with you. If it's healing, if it's something you're, you're struggling with, we always want to take time to pray. And the worship team will sing a song, and then we'll close the service. But I just want to pray over us right now. Father, I pray that you would help us to accept your acceptance of us. For those of us who felt like maybe we didn't matter.